Well, what's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. It's 9am Monday, February 28, 2022, with the weather and the light changing. As New York aggressively approaches spring, all of a sudden I find myself waking up early and sometimes to deal with the anxiety of being alive, I decide to go to work early. Actually, I like working quite early. Today, we're going to talk about, well, the strategy career. I have about 10 questions, including the one that I get very, very often, which is what do I do in my first strategy job? I get that almost as much as how do I get a strategy job? They're both very big questions and sometimes I avoid them because I feel like I've answered them so many times. But I'm gonna try to answer at least one of them today. I just wanna give a shout out uh, and big hugs to Ukraine. I know that might sound a little bit pathetic, but just wanna send out a lot of a lot of hugs and, and warmth to, to Ukraine. I hope people over there, I, I don't even know what words are gonna come out. I can't say I hope they're doing okay because I know they're not. Uh, we have a, at least 100 people from Ukraine in the Sweathead Facebook group. A lot of them joined at the one time or within the one week a couple of years ago. And it's not a, a place that I've been to. I've I've worked with people from Ukraine in Sweathead. Some of our video editors and designers have come from there. And I've, I've always loved their, their wit. And their, there's a certain dark wit that I personally associate with the people that I know from Ukraine. And... I just wish this stuff stopped. It, it, it's probably going to happen more and more this century as the earth continues to do what the earth is continuing to do, often at the hands of humans. But also, I just want to make a couple of couple of quick points. Uh, I don't talk a lot about topical or political issues because I, I do get quite frustrated with politics because typically the whole world gets controlled by a handful of people. And I, I just want to make clear and obvious points that being pro-Ukrainian or pro the people of Ukraine and pro-peace is not being anti-Russian. I also know a lot of people from Russia, they're, they're beautiful. It's such an obvious thing to say, but sometimes we can get caught up in uh, the sentiment and, and, and kind of cloak a whole population with the negativity that is probably better directed at a couple of people. When you look at a lot of wars, I'm not a historian, but I do gouge on Reddit and YouTube nerdy history map type <laughs> content most wars seem to be started by a handful of people who manage to attract and then corrupt an inner circle that then gets power and needs to assert the power sometimes a bit narcissistic probably quite narcissistic a lot of grandiosity and also sometimes a bit psychopathic and sometimes in history a lot of them have been on like methamphetamines and drugs and things that make you go hard so to speak uh, and so got to separate the people from the leaders who are trying to get people to do certain things to hurt each other. Just wish this stuff didn't happen. Uh, and also the hard thing is, is like none of the major world powers are innocent. Every single major world power or any power has destroyed populations of people, sometimes for centuries. They have undermined governments. They have built massive military apparatuses. And then often the biggest ones restrict anybody else from doing so yet they're happy to sell to them so the whole thing for me is just so riddled with hypocrisy that it's hard to it's hard to kind of get into in a, in a useful way so just want to give a shout out to the people of Ukraine and, and also to the people of Russia who do, don't want this stuff to happen I hope it ends soon uh, I, I'm nervous for this century because I think with the the population although there are theories that increasingly parts of the world might depopulate but 
with the way that the population's growing, generally speaking, and what's going to happen with land and water, I think there's going to be more and more pressure on on, on people and uh, governments will take advantage of that and uh, continue to create others that they can then dehumanize and attack. So. I don't know. That's my that's my little speech. Apologies if that's not suitable for a strategy podcast. I did not prepare it. We're going to talk about the strategy career in a second. Um, Sweathead, we've got a lot of stuff going on. We are we are building this little team, and it's been a really interesting process actually. Because four ish years ago, oh my gosh, it's about four years ago this week. I hope that's correct. That the first Sweathead podcast was published. I think it's four years ago. And the reason I'm saying that is because like all of us, the pandemic and quarantining and all of that sort of stuff has totally changed my perspective of history. <laughs> uh, but I think it's four years ago this week. And if it is, happy happy podcast birthday to all of us. And I remember it because I was on the West Coast. Where we went to a chess tournament in San Diego. Nearly got into a fight, actually, because this uh, group of people were trying to cheat while they were playing my kids. Uh, and so we spent a little bit of time traveling and, and playing in chess tournaments. It was a good way for a, a, fa- a nerd family to, to get around the States. Uh, and it was around my wife's uh, birthday. There was a big birthday. I almost mentioned what that birthday was. I think it was four years ago. Um, anyway, so we've got a few things coming out. We've got a whole bunch of events that we're launching, and you can find them on sweathead.com. We do have a monthly membership that you can sign up for and you get access to all the events. We're going to try to do a few free events every month or two. Uh, We're trying to build a little business here and I've got a few bigger thoughts that I've been sitting on. I'm gonna share them now. You might wanna skip over this and get into the career stuff. But the thing that's really attracting me this thought is what I think I wanna do for much of the rest of my life is try to help people think through their problems, think a way through their problems, that's one. Uh, there's a bunch of other thoughts that go along with that. But the other thing that I want to try to do is work out how to burst open the doors of this industry and get more people access to it. And so in New York, for example, there's a bit of a plea to try to encourage hiring of high schoolers, especially through summer, because sometimes the outcomes of kids who don't have things to do in summer, not only educationally, but environmentally and then socially, like they can get caught up in some shit, right? Uh, not great. And so I'm, I'm trying to work out ways that potentially we can bring people especially in the New York area, into what we're doing with Sweathead, pay them, help them learn, get them access to the industry, while also helping uh, strategists and potentially marketers do their do their jobs. And so there could be a real student-minded vibe to what we're doing. I still do a little bit of brand consultant consulting, and what I'm increasingly thinking of is how to bring students from Sweathead through all of that works, because I can, I can, I can potentially do the work, and usually it's decent, but... I think as I get older, I want to work out how to bring other people through. And so exploring models, just saying that in case you get ideas or you've come across adjacent structures that have worked and you can potentially share them with me. So anyway, we've got a whole bunch of events coming up, including uh, a chat with three of the marketers from Expedia and Verbo about their Super Bowl advertising. That'll happen middle of March, around March 11. We've also got uh, the next Sweathead Strategy Accelerator kicking off on March 31. It's a six-week program. I don't know how many people will will have through this. We've run it a few times now. We do it for companies and we we do it in public as well, but it's basically going through my go-to techniques and you get to choose one of three briefs. You will crack a brief, as they say, and you'll get some feedback on it and you'll meet tens of other strategists doing that and you'll get access to the events and all the other things that we do. So all of that stuff's happening. You can check out sweathead.com for details. Uh, we've also had a bunch of guest posts on the Instagram, at sweathead. 
you can check that out whenever you need to. And obviously, if this is your first time here, don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoy these episodes, which are unedited, just me talking into a microphone, feel free to review them or share them with a friend. All right, let's get into the questions. <sighs> so much happening, so much happening. Honestly, heart goes out to Ukraine. I hope we can solve that issue in the short term, at the very least this week, because it's going to be an ongoing issue, I think. So a couple of qu- uh, question that we'll start off with is from Jamie LaRalph. These questions were submitted on Instagram. And if you ever want to respond to a question, they're favors for me. And uh, if you don't want me to mention a name, just write the word anon. I usually include that instruction when I put a request out for questions. I love these questions because they help me think through the things that I think about. And, and I think that's a really important thing that will probably be part of an answer to a few of these questions, such as this first one. Jamie LaRalph asks, what's your advice for someone starting their first strategy job? So it's a very big and broad question, okay? And if I'm cheeky, then I'll give you a cheeky answer, but I thought today that I won't. In your first strategy job, and I did take some notes for this particular question because it's so big. In your first strategy job, I guess there's at least four things that you're gonna need to work out. One is the culture of your agency. A culture is a set of behaviors born from a set of beliefs. So what you can do is, you know, book or on a piece of paper just start writing down the things that you see people doing that are okay that get rewarded or maybe that get quote-unquote punished and try to connect them to the beliefs of the company and that's really really important because strategy roles are in more places than ever but the majority of the market for the work that we do whether it's strategy advertising communications whatever however you want to define it the majority of the market out there is uh, there's a demand for busy work and for just good enough work and if you're in a place that talks a big game but hasn't done you know the most provocative work ever and you've joined this place thinking you're going to do the most provocative work ever you're probably not and that's not defeatist i'm just trying to save you a few years of a career having gone through it myself okay so you're going to need to gently try to understand the culture of the place you also need to understand the clients not all clients are the same some are very ambitious some Uh, want to try to do one great last campaign before they leave because they're frustrated. Others are just trying to handle or hang on to their career and just want the good enough work. So you're going to need to work out a little triage system, a category of three or maybe four, so that you can be so that you can approach clients differently, right? So that you're not approaching them all with all guns blazing, right? You're also going to need to start understanding the role. The role will take shape in different companies in different ways. When you're starting out, look, when I have interns or junior strategists, and I have an issue with that title, as many people would know, the... I like to get them front line. I want to get them in front of clients, but that's only if I can see that they're able to be useful and helpful and not they're not arrogant. And the useful and helpful thing for me often comes down to, can they take a whole bunch of information that, yes, through initiative they've found, initiative, information, but can they take all that information and distill it into really interesting and simple things? And so I really do think when you're starting out, having a practice of explaining things on a page or half a page, make make it minimal, will really help you improve how you express. And then you'll come across... 
then you'll be able to be useful to, to more and more people. So you're going to need to understand the role. In some places, they'll just try to burn you out and have you work 60 to 70 hours a week, putting decks together, all that kind of stuff. And I, I, honestly, I burn out a lot of my 20s, but I also didn't mind working long hours. Okay, so these things are personal. Now, I prefer not to be putting a deck together at midnight or at 2 a.m. for a pitch the following day. I just, just personal preference seems pretty reasonable. When I was younger, I got a kick out of it a little bit, okay? And, you know, I don't want to ex sort of pass on anything toxic here. I was a bit of a workaholic, and that was, you know, for reasons such as I uh, wasn't sure what else I should be doing outside of work and ex experience myself as someone who worked. And that can be useful, and it can also be harmful. And then the fourth thing, so we've talked about culture, clients, role, and self, and I'm going to actually go into more, like, just really obvious small tips. Understanding culture, understanding your clients, understanding the role, and then there's understanding yourself, how you fit in. And each experience that you have will help you understand the type of managers that you want to work for or the manager that you might want to be if you want to be a manager. And also help you understand how you come to life. What I find interesting is I talk to people who could be 10 to 20 years into their career and then they might actually go freelance or they might want to consult, but they second guess themselves. And we all do this, by the way. I'm not saying this from any place of, uh, I don't know, superiority. But I think there's something quite powerful. Uh, it's on my mind because I've had a few chats with some people recently where, like, for example, me, I like to do interviews and I like to write and I like to write like one page documents, not massive, massive long decks. I like to do deep, dark interviews. And so I kind of build the way that I do strategy around all that kind of stuff. And I think it's important because you'll be comparing yourself to other people that you work with. You'll be comparing yourself to some strategist in some other country that appears on the internet and be like, oh, I should be more like them. Maybe, or over time become more like you, all right? Some simple tips, take notes, have a journal or a book with you, write down what you're learning and, and finding out about in all these meetings. The hand to brain connection is powerful and having a practice where you're thinking about these things and not just typing something robotically on a computer is really, really powerful, okay? So take notes. You'll probably collect journals for years and then when you finish the journal, go through it and see, like, circle things that you found interesting and could actually do something with. The second is learn about time boxing. Yes, when you're starting out, it can be more difficult to control your time. But what I what I started to do, especially as I got into sort of like mid to senior positions, is quite aggressively try to protect my calendar. So most Mondays, I'm, and like I'm capable of process, but I'm not process oriented. I need to know how I'm going to approach something and get through something, but then I can get quite overwhelmed. And so I have quite simple methods for this. Uh, one is that on at the start of the week, but also possibly every day, I would have a piece of paper out and I would just write down the top things that I needed to do that day or that week. Now, if I was working on a more long-term project, I would have already done this and then I would put that time in my calendar so that if I know that I need to put a deck together, I will aggressively put four hours in my calendar. I might leave a few spaces because otherwise what happens is other people who are often more extroverted and whose jobs are about managing other people start to dominate your time in a way where you can't do the work that you need to do. So learn about time boxing. The third is, well, the third of my second list, okay, because we did culture, clients, role, self. Third point is learn some frameworks. Frameworks are useful, but do not get carried away with them. Okay, you, you, 
can apply different frameworks at different times. You don't need a deck with 20 frameworks. You might need one or two. One could be if you're doing advertising strategy to get to a, or, or trying to get to a creative brief or writing a brand strategy. You might want a framework that helps you distill all the things that you've discovered that are really, really important that led you to the strategy. And let's assume that what comes next is some kind of uh, presentation of the campaign idea, possibly by you, but probably by other people, probably by a creative department. And then you or your team will probably want a framework for, a com for the comms plan. At the very least, there's those two things. There will be other kind of models in there like measurement and maybe org charts and things like that, but don't go crazy with it. And if your company doesn't have a clear philosophy, and I think this, this really holds back a lot of companies who are like, yeah, I think we need a new creative brief or we're not doing good strategy. And it's like, well, what's your point of view as a company on strategy? Are you about fame? Are you about conversion? Are you about creating things that will be useful? Zigging when people zag, TBWA, McCann, truth well told. And if you don't have a clear philosophy, then you're not going to have frameworks. You're not going to have useful creative briefs. People won't know what they're doing. And it's going to feel like they're reinventing the wheel every single time and then swirling. Okay. Four, read about writing. On Writing by Stephen King. On Writing Well by William Zisner. The Artful Edit by Susan Bell. Even The Artist's Way by uh, Julia Cameron. There are many books on writing. Read about writing. And then connected to this is as you get into this job, and it you know, doesn't really matter too much about age, but if, you've, if you were fortunate enough to go to college or university, you might be a little bit burnt out of reading all this stuff and all these es doing all these essays, okay? But I would encourage you to keep reading and, and read, keep reading fiction because that kind of language could color the work you do that day or the following day. And you're going to expose yourself to tasty words and good fiction Every paragraph or, or most pages will have some kind of psychological insight going on. So that, that fictitious world or that world of fiction is useful to you. It's not separate. So keep reading. And if you feel a little bit stuck, what you can do is just read two or three pages of a book that you like and then try to channel some of that energy, that vibe, uh, into what you're writing. Then the, what are we at? Number six, keep writing as well. So keep reading and keep writing. Don't be too good for writing and don't disappear into kind of just getting all this information together with no point of view. You need to keep writing. You'll also need to develop some go-to information sources. So Google Scholar, Reddit, etc. I mean, there are so many. Uh, Google Scholar is always a good one to check out because you could find research that someone's done over a 10 or 20 year period that could help you actually understand your category really well in a way that other kind of research might not. Practice distillation. This probably connects mostly to the keep writing thing. So constantly give yourself small spaces in which to express yourself. I have one page. I've done three weeks of research, but I've got one page to spend. What do I want to say? What's going to be the most useful to the people that I'm talking to, which could be a boss, could be a team, could be a client, or half a page, or three sentences. Or I've got 10 slides, but I'm only, I'm only going to give myself a word count of 10 words per slide. Play that game and you'll start to see clarity coming. It's uncomfortable because you have to let a lot of the work go. And you might really want to show all the work you've done. And if you're in a place that's about that, uh, that's a bit awkward, okay? Because it's not about showing all the work you've done, even though you're doing timesheets, right? You can always put that work in an appendix or somewhere else. But then practice getting onto a page, getting onto a half page, getting onto 10 slides, but with no more than 10, I'm just making the number up, 10 words per slide. 
from an attitude point of view, be okay with not knowing. If you've gotten this job and you think you're smart and everything, cool. You don't need to parade that in front of people. You're mostly about asking questions. That's like the bulk of the job. Yeah, you find stuff out along the way and get to some answers, but those answers aren't right. They're not right or wrong. They're just points of view. And so it's very powerful to be in a room to re not really know what's going on. And you'll look, you'll see all the people more senior than you sort of jockeying and they'll have sound bites and you'll know that someone doesn't really know what they're talking about, yet they keep talking. Do I need to do that too? I don't know. I don't know. Part of that's cultural, right? But what you can do is if something comes up and you and the team don't know the answer to it, you can say, you know what? We don't know the answer to that, but we're going to find out and we'll get back to you. So be okay with not knowing. Most of the job is about not knowing. Most pitches that you work on, most briefs that come in, you won't know the category. Or if you know the category, you won't know something about it. And if you ever get to the point where you think you know everything about everything, then, hmm, what's that called? Ego. I think I sort of mentioned this in various ways, but it's important to reflect as well. So you can take your notes, you can write you on pages, you can work for a month, two months, three months. Every now and then you just need to pause and go, okay, what have I learned from all of this? About how I work, about how my company works, about the kind of work that I want to do, about how to do my work better. Reflect. It's really, really important. In that reflection, you'll start to learn yourself and teach yourself. So that, for example, if I've done projects where I've done a lot of workshops right and I, I, I don't mind workshops I've done hundreds and sometimes they don't end the way that I want them to end and I'm like oh you know what I should have done I should have insisted that I interview 10 people 20 people and uh, then write a few strategies up and then get some feedback on that and did it and so it's in that reflection where where especially when I started doing my own thing I was like you know what that's exactly what I want to do from now on <laughs> I might downplay doing workshops, which is what I thought I was going to do when I started, workshops and workouts. And I'll actually delve into one-on-one -on -one interviews because every company I work with has data, too much data, but they don't have signal. And then, you know what? I can approach those interviews a little bit more journal journalistically, sorry for that word, a little bit more like a journalist than an academic because that used to intimidate me as well. I've done thousands of interviews because I did radio, I've done this, I've published a magazine, I've done thousands of interviews, but when I came into the sort of marketing and advertising space, there were often more academic researchers sometimes in planning sometimes in the client company or as independent researchers and I was intimidated by it a, a little initially until a few uh, until you sort of get a few presentations and you're like I don't know what to do with this it actually doesn't make sense to me all right and then the final thing and this is something that I find quite interesting having done I did about 21 on one coaching sessions last week and when we look at some of the challenges that people are working through I think it's really useful to have a question that you can go to that can operate you. So when I'm running teams and when I'm running my coaching sessions with groups, one of the questions I'll ask is, what's a risk you've taken in the past week and how did it go? Now, if I was working on a project, the question to myself would be, what's a risk I could take on this project? Now, some people might not like the word risk, but I do, because it means that I'm thinking beyond what's robotically there, what I could just do out of habit. So you only need a question like that, like one question like that, and you could ask that question to yourself for years. 
it just depends on what you want to do. When you're starting out, it could be, how can I be useful to this moment in this meeting in on the project? It could be, what's one new thing that I could try that I've never done before? So just give, you, give yourself a question like that. And if you can ask it on pretty much any project or, or every interaction on, on an email, on a meeting, um, then over time you're going to have tried a lot of different stuff, learned a lot of different stuff, and you're not going to be, you're not going to feel that you're stagnating. All right. So that's a long answer to that question, and it's it's probably something that deserves a little bit more thinking, and maybe I'll get some time together some at some point to think it through. All right. The rest of the questions I'm going to do a little bit more quickly. Uh, Renata Penalosa uh, says or asks: Companies expect advertising to be fast to keep up with culture how to give depth to strategy. So how can you feel like you're doing something that's deep while also working fast? And I think that depth comes from the more that you do it, the more that you'll be familiar with what's already been done. And I think the thing about depth is that we want to feel that we're operating on a, on a thoughtful level, but also potentially getting somewhere novel. And you don't know what's novel until you spent years doing this kind of work. And even now I could, uh, you know, I'm 25 years in this year actually to being connected to the agency world it wasn't always full-time in my early 20s I was often part-time working on a magazine as well but it's like even now I'm like oh, I think this could be interesting and then I'll google the language to see if anybody else has used it before so depth and speed they're not opposites to me but when you're starting out it, it can just feel like a, a while before your head wraps around what you're doing and that's why having a philosophy and some simple frameworks to use and I'm not talking about frameworks as in, you know, rigid thinking, but simple, a simple rubric, right, uh, can help you get deep quicker. But it's also just through understanding people a little bit more, even though you'll probably never un fully understand yourself or you'll, and you'll definitely not fully understand other people. Uh, Trude and Design, how would you recommend someone start selling brand strategy as a standalone offer? These kinds of questions are a bit difficult. How would you sell it? I mean, put up a website, that's interesting with an interesting point of view, makes you look credible and sell it and then announce it on LinkedIn. I was talking to a couple of people about this recently. You might've heard the interview I did with Raka from Dilated Peoples who's launching his agency right now. And my point of view is, is especially through the pandemic, seeing people launch stuff. I think you've got one or two bites at the cherry on LinkedIn where you can say, hey, I'm launching a thing, da 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 da. As soon as you get into like your 10th or 15th post in a month or two, which some people do, re-announcing your thing, I think you're gonna lose interest. So you need to put up something. It doesn't have to be crazy complicated, a website, a PDF, but it needs an interesting point of view. And then you need to work out how to get it in front of people in a way that's gonna excite them because you will have supporters. And those supporters will come from interesting places. Like it can be your friends, but it's often the people who know your friends, who kind of know you, but they're not too close to you because there's like a, I don't know, a different, they don't take you for granted. And I don't mean that in a bad way, by the way. I've got very supportive, I'll call them friends, I've got very supportive friends, but I also know that there's sort of a group of people who might know my friends who would perceive, you know, working with me a little bit differently to my friends who can just DM me or have a beer with me or whatever. You know what I mean. All right, uh, us underscore earth. Can strategy only exist in an agency? Why is it not foundational for corporates? I mean, it, it, it can be foundational for corporates, but corporates tend to be more conservative organizations. And what we're talking about, or what I'm talking about with strategy and account planning is, is really uh, a craft that is all about ambiguity, confusion, and mess. 
a lot of intuition, a lot of empathy, and yes, also a lot of numbers and data. But it's it's not easy to understand. And corporates don't want to have to slow down and deal with uh, anything that is not easy to understand. So that's part of what's going on. You know, I work with companies that bring in people like us, if I can pull you into my usness or my meanness. And uh, the strategists and account planners don't always succeed and the kind of more conservative corporate structures can really struggle with them, reject them, make them feel stupid, all that kind of stuff. And on, is there such a thing as being promoted too soon? I think there can be, there can be. Uh, it just depends on your attitude. Like if you get promoted too soon, don't know what you're doing, really don't know what you're doing, don't want to admit it, don't want to learn and you want to treat people badly, yeah, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. <laughs> uh, so keep keep that in mind. I think one of the pressures that's that's really apparent right now, and I'm, by right now I'm going to say for the past decade, is because all of us have friends on social media and we see people, CEO at the age of 24 or CMO at the age of 25, that we're obsessed in our comparison with them. And that can put pressure on us to try to, quote-unquote, climb the ladder into more senior roles earlier on. It's also a very young industry. Uh, I was talking to a CSO of an agency you'd all know last week through the DMs, and I hope it's okay for me saying this. I won't mention which agency or which person. Uh, but, you know, the, the hiring right now is really, really hard. And, and this person has been hearing from people with like three years experience who want to be a director and get massive, massive salaries. Now, if they can get that and if they're capable of it, great. But mm, not sure how that's going to end. Drew speaks, how do you stay in strategy until retirement, 67 years old? I don't think Drew is 67, but if you are, Drew, you don't look it. <laughs> so congratulations. I don't know. I mean, what do you mean? What do we mean by that? Because you can do strategy in life. You can do strategy in business while you're working. It's just you want to be an account planner into your 60s? Sure, possibly. I think there's got to be more and more opportunities for that as many of the populations around the world age and as these aging populations hold the majority of the wealth of their societies. So hopefully those opportunities will exist and, and, and if they don't exist, you can create them. And I think that's, that's the thing as you hit your 40s, you're going to need to really work out how to create these opportunities for yourself rather than necessarily signing up for somebody else's opportunity because the the profession does age out relatively young. You know, there aren't that many people over 45, 50 who are account planners, who aren't the boss boss, right? Anon, what's the best career jump you've seen from strategist to underscore? Look, I, I, I don't know what the best career jump I've seen, but I think there was a planner involved in the creation of that uh, detergent brand method. That's pretty cool. And then there's a whole bunch of planners who are running this cool sunscreen company called Vacation. You can look them up on LinkedIn because they're funny on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Uh, I think that's fun. You know, when I can see people who really get brand and get communications planning, launching their own things and bringing those principles to life in their own things, I, I find that really, really cool. Lots of different kinds of strategists. I think the people I'm attracted to are uh, sort of into people and trying to work out humanity and all that kind of stuff. So life coaching and psychology stuff to do with humanities is pretty common. I think a lot of people want to be an entrepreneur, but aren't quite sure if they could operate a company because going from someone who thinks most of the time to someone who might might need to operate most of the time is, is a bit of a 
bit of a leap. It's a leap that I'm slowly trying to work out how to make as well right now. Alfie Webster, how does the role of a strategist change as you climb the ladder? Yeah, it depends on the kind of strategy you do. It depends on the ladder that you're on. Uh, and also, it just depends on you. You know, when I was in sort of more senior roles, I wanted to be more of a servant leader and more of a coach leader. But in some of the environments I was in, the other senior people didn't get that. They were more used to hierarchy and someone being a boss and telling people what to do and having the answers. Whereas I'd be in a, a room with someone and they might ask a question and I'd say, well, what do you think the answer is to that? Because from a long-term point of view, I want everybody to develop and they don't develop when they're being told what to do. So I think being a coach is, is a valid option. There are different structures or different models of leadership but i like the coach leadership because i want to make sure that we're in a learning organization because i feel that's more robust over over time uh, then you might also have more responsibility for vision setting the vision uh, nick hurst from adam and eve ddb you can find that interview from a couple of weeks ago talked about when he took a head of planning role oh what was the phrase it was great he, he said that someone else told him it was about rations and something else basically like pay and food is what that role becomes about because it's more about more about operations probably more pitching you can disappear into management teams management teams are tough places to be as well i think because a lot of them are a bit dysfunctional and people are still trying to you know management teams in our industry are, are dealing with a ton of ambiguity and stress uh, even though they're getting paid more than everybody else it can be quite a challenging situation final question and on how can a social brackets content strategist transform to brand planner thanks yeah i've talked about this a little bit because obviously the most practical answer is you get a job as a brand planner and i think the way to do that is just try to understand some of the higher order principles of strategic thinking you know finding out problems that you're trying to solve or that you could solve through communications research uh, I think a lot of social strategists, when they start out, they, they, and I was this kid, by the way, I was on the internet as a teenager making websites, and a lot of my first jobs were basically because I was young and using the internet, <laughs> so I'm, I'm totally aware of this. Uh, but I think a lot of social strategists kind of get away with being young for a while, and and then also aren't used to distilling complicated stuff into simple, novel, unexpected thoughts. Now that came out a little bit wrong. Now, I don't think that's entirely true. That came out a little bit wrong. But what you want to be able to do is start to uh, do research that's asking about more than just the channels. That's asking about people and their humanity. You need to be able to distill that research into you know half page, one page strategic recommendations where those recommendations aren't just peddling principles, general principles. You know, like be relevant, be shareable, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I hope that was helpful. Anyway, that's a whole bunch of questions answered about the strategy career. It it has been, I love it. I love it. I really do. I, you know, I'm not the best. I'm not the best as an employee, and I've had really difficult years psychologically in the industry, uh, especially on a temporary visa in the states. Oh, I've got a green card approval the other day, so it's been that was stressful, but also relieved. And then there's going to be more stress coming up. But um, it's definitely helped with the mood. I'll tell you that much, because like when you're stressed out as a strategist on a visa where you get kicked out of the country in two weeks or you're supposed to leave in two weeks if you uh, lose your job oh gosh that's so stressful but a privilege as well because I know a lot of people can't get that in the states 
all right, I think that was mostly coherent. I'll check you out at sweathead.com or at sweathead or at Mark Pollard on Instagram, Twitter. I'll see you on LinkedIn. I hope you're doing okay out there. Like I said earlier, love to Ukraine. This is these these things are not usually wars between people. They're wars between politician. Although this particular situation is not really a war between people, a chosen war. It was just a straight out uh, invasion. Um, anyway, I'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If it's your first time here, please subscribe. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend or leave a kind rating. For more information about our strategy classes, events, and books, visit www.sweathead.com. And yes, you can find us on Instagram at, at sweathead.